Again, everyone, uh, welcome to Now We're Talking. This is a podcast about communication skills. Um, my name is Rob Danish. I'm a professor of communication studies at the University of Waterloo. Uh, so, in our last episode, we were talking about um, the difference between, um, well, two episodes ago, we were talking about the difference between compliance and persuasion. And then we talked a little bit about persuasion through motivational interviewing. I want to get back to the distinction between compliance and persuasion and start expanding on our discussion of persuasion a, a little bit further. Um, so uh, to return to the difference between persuasion and compliance, of course, I was saying that compliance was, um, you sort of forcing a behavioral response that you want instead of getting someone to motivate it in a kind of motivated way, change their, your behavior, their beliefs. Um, so I want to pick up on, on that in this episode. And the first thing I, I think I want to say is that for me, at least, um, when I think about communication, I think of. A distinction that good communers, communicators are able to make between um, what in this episode I'll call rapport and between force. So good communicators are able to get people to do things. They're able to influence people through rapport instead of through force. Um, so essentially what we're going to talk about is the difference between persuasion through rapport and persuasion through force. I think that for many of us, there's a natural tendency to that kind of tempts us to want to use force to get others to do what we want. And that might be gendered. It, it might not be. I don't really know. But um, there is this kind of instinctive um, sense that using force ought to work. It's almost like on a primitive level, um, it, it, it works on this kind of primitive lizard brain level. Um, and it's particularly appealing when the other person is clearly unable to stop us or to use force back against us. So if there's someone in a less powerful position, we're just sort of tempted to use force to get them to do what we want. Um, so like, let's think about an extremely common kind of situation for parents. Um, so, uh, let's say you've got a little tiny kid and they still, they're still in a car seat and you have to put the straps of the car seat on. Um, if any, anybody out there has tried to do this, like the little kid is going to wiggle around and, you know, try to escape. It's, it's like, it's really frustrating to get a kid in a car seat. Um, eventually they'll tire out and you can actually like physically hold them down. Um, and that is, is just using force to get them to comply. It's a compliance tactic. Um, and then, so force, just like coercion or deception or manipulation, though, has a, has a high cost over time. So if you continue to force your kid into the car seat and hold them down, you can breed sort of fear and resentment and contempt in your kid. And it doesn't, well, it doesn't, might not seem to matter when you're struggling to get your two-year-old into the car, they'll surface in the long run if you don't eventually learn to expand your repertoire of skills of getting them in the car. Um, really what you want is your two-year-old to cooperate with you. You don't want to have to use force, but your instinct kind of kicks in 
and suggests that you use force. Um, okay, so cooperation is kind of the cooperation and rapport exist on the other side of, of force and compliance by force. Cooperation and rapport require a great deal of self-control. They require emotional resilience. They require patience because you're trying to get someone to agree with your view of the world or follow your sense of what's right or wrong. Uh, if you can think for a second about the level of patience that you would need to empathize with your two-year-old or your three-year-old, um, you know, th that's like a lot of empathy, essentially, a lot of patience. Uh, two-year-olds are, you know, baskets of emotion all the time. Um, okay, so the point, I think, of, of the episode today is, is that... Um, cooperation and rapport building aren't easy skills and they are, require this kind of mindful effort and in particular it's a mindful effort not to succumb to the temptation of force um if you, you and because that temptation is always going to be there especially if you're in a position of power if you want to have a battle every time you get in the car you should use force uh it'll work you're bigger and eventually they'll get bigger and you know you you, you'll have to kind of continue to ratchet up your force. But if you want to have to do it once or twice and then never do it again, you should use rapport building or cooperation because that approach um, leads to more durable change. So in persuasion, I'm, I'm interested in durable change, not just compliance in the moment. So I knew a psychologist once who told a story about uh, working with a kid named Alex who was um, in an anti-violence treatment program for young people. He was a kind of teenager um, where he was all kind of tall and gangly with a mop of hair. Um, and there was this kind of like cold, kind of flinty look in his eye. And, you know, he had been a product of living abroad with his mother when he was small. And, you know, his mother did drugs. And so he had this like really checkered, complicated past. Um, but he liked, uh, he liked this therapist. And he wouldn't say much, but he you, he clearly kept going to see the therapist. So that was that was something. Uh, he was also going to attending this new school uh, for kids. And one of the rules that the teachers had was that the, the kids couldn't leave class uh, until everyone was sitting quietly in their chairs. So they, they couldn't go on to the next thing unless everyone was sitting quietly in their chair. So all these kids had ADHD, though. So it's like a big deal. They're all, you know, have these troubled paths. Um, so eventually this Alex kid goes around to all the others and says, you're going to sit still in your chair when it's time to group. I'm going to break your arms. Get it. Okay. Now, clearly compliance, persuasion by force. Um, this kid understood violence as getting what you want easily. Uh, do what I say or else. And that's a kind of extreme example, but any communicative pattern that involves do what I say or else, whether they're with teenagers, adults, whatever, whoever, is going to or has the, the potential to result in an immediate behavioral response, a kind of compliance response. But it breeds fear. And fear is not and cannot be the foundation of a healthy relationship with anyone between teenagers, with employees and employers, with partners, with children, 
um, that communicative practice of persuasion through compliance and force breeds fear all the time. That's just what it does. Once fear is introduced into a relationship, it's really hard to remove it. Some, uh, some psychologists might argue that you can't remove it. It's like a spot of rust. You know, it spreads and corrodes the structure of the thing, in this case, the relationship. But still, lots of us are seduced into thinking that the quickest, most effective way to get what we want from someone is to basically bully them into submission, to demand things, to do what I say or else. Um, we can bang on the desk, we can threaten a punishment, uh, we can, you know, if you, <laughs> I have colleagues, I, I couldn't believe this, uh, we are dealing with this difficult situation and my own work, work situation, and someone actually said, well, if you haven't read these books, then you shouldn't even bother coming to meetings or we don't want to deal with you. You know, it was like, you read these books or else you're unwelcome in the conversation. And it was no different than this Alex kid going around saying to other kids in his class, I'm going to break your arm if you don't sit down. It's the same communicative pattern. Um, and it is corrosive to relationships. Uh, we see these kinds of um, threatening communication patterns play out over and over again on TV and in movies. You know, I, I'm sure, I can't remember the movie right now, but I'm sure there's a movie where The Rock like hangs somebody out over a building by their ankles and says, you know, tell me what, tell me what I need to know or else I'm going to drop you off the building. Um, they'll tell you anything like the rock will get his answer from that person when he's dangling them over out, out the window. Um, but he's just repeating the communication pattern, do what I say or, or else in the real world. Like I think lots of us are on the receiving end of these supposedly motivational pressures. Um, and we can be on that receiving end at school, at home, in the workplace, we can feel threatened and intimidated or made to fear the consequences if we don't comply or obey or appease someone in a more powerful position. Um, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be someone in a more powerful position. It's just easier. We're more likely to comply when it is someone in a more powerful position. So you can ask yourself, have you ever had a boss who felt the best way to motivate you to do your job was to make you scared that you might lose your job? That's someone communicating with this uh, uh, compliance by force mentality. Uh, if you like, and I can think about kids. I have a teenager right now. So, you know, think about trying to get your teenager out of bed in the morning. You know, you can yell at them, get ready right now, or I'm pouring a bucket of cold water on you, or, or like, get ready, or I'm leaving without you. Um, you know, th those are the same kind of compliance by force communication practices. If you want to motivate a member of your staff to be more productive, um, so you can yell at them, one more late arrival, and I'm going to have you put, uh, I'm going to put performance review measures on you. Or if you want to get someone to help around the house and you're passive aggressive about it by banging pots around in the kitchen, you know, those are all the same compliance by force strategies. So you should think back if, if about those strategies and when they were used on you and how they made you feel. Did they make you feel encouraged? Did they make you feel motivated? Or did they make you feel annoyed and fearful? And how did you respond? Did you comply or did you resent complying? So normally what happens is that people will comply, but they'll also resent it because they'll be annoyed and, and fearful. And you should think about if you've ever used them on other people. Did they work for you? Did they improve your relationship with the other person or, or did it make it worse? Uh, did they fix the behavior you're trying to control? 
in the long run, or did it just fix the behavior in that in that moment? There are tons of studies by communication scholars and psychologists that show that those tactics don't work. Gaining compliance by force doesn't work. Um, even if they do gain compliance initially, they produce worse outcomes in the long run. People often respond to the, those tactics with malicious compliance or, or what we might call workplace deviance. They appear cooperative on the surface, but they actually go on to engage in behavior that undermines or corrodes the authority of the person trying to control them. So if you tell someone, like, you can't participate in this meeting unless you've read these books, like, do this or else, the person might say, oh, yes, okay, I, I will read those books. But what you're really setting them up for, setting up is to engage in workplace deviance, which is that they'll appear to cooperate with the reading of the book, but then they'll engage in behavior that undermines that person's authority anyway. So what will they do? They'll read the book and they'll just critique it. <laughs> they'll say the book is nonsense, it sucks, it's no good. Uh, in the case of, um, you know, also like, okay, in, in workplaces, think about, you know, taking sick days, lowered productivity, gossip, bad mouthing. All these things start to happen when it's a workplace run by compliance through force. Um, in, if you think about your teenager for a second, it'll sour your relationship with your teenager. It'll push the boundaries for them of what's possible and they'll work harder to not get caught or to get around your rules. So the point I'm trying to make is that those tactics, so compliance through force tactics of communication erode long-term loyalty and they erode cooperation between you and other people. So because the target of the manipulation will turn their efforts toward finding ways to undermine the person using that communication practice. That, and, and that in and itself is destructive of cooperation. So in the long run, those type of tactics are harmful to relationships, they're ineffective, and they prevent cooperation. They give the illusion of control to one person for the time being, but that control is not durable. So what's the alternative? And it's going to take me a, another episode to unpack the alternative, but the alternative is what psychologists call a rapport-based approach. Um, and that's about not escalating conflict, essentially. It's, it doesn't mean you're not assertive. It doesn't mean you don't agree with, you can't be disagreeable. It means that you don't use aggression, threats, or intimidation. That This is the important part. So it's you're not using communication practices that are aggressive, threatening, and intimidating, and that attempt to gain compliance through force. Uh, those communication practices are about manipulation dom and domination. They send the message that like you're, you're, you'll do what I say, and I don't care how you feel about it. If you don't comply, you'll wish you had, because I'm going to harm you if you don't. Uh, but if we want to achieve actual agreement and cooperation instead of resentful kind of compliance, you're, it requires patient, calm, understanding, and it's, all, it's more time-consuming. Okay, That's the first thing we have to acknowledge. It requires greater communication skill. Um, it requires greater self-discipline. Um, and it requires, um, I think, an other-centered kind of respect. So you have to be direct, but you have to be respectful of other people. Now, how do you develop 
rapport and how do you get cooperation through rapport? Uh, well, rapport is built on four communication competencies. So I would say, and, and here's the important point, compliance through force is based on communication competencies of intimidation, threatening, um, and aggression. So sorry, it's so communication that's aggressive, threatening, and intimidating. Aggressive, threatening, and intimidating. Those are the cornerstones of communication that gets compliance through force. So you don't want communication that's aggressive, threatening, and intimidating. That leads to compliance through force. You want instead um, cooperation and rapport. Cooperation and rapport are built on four communication skills. Those are honesty, empathy, autonomy, and reflection. Honesty is about being objective and direct when communicating your feelings. So rapport isn't just being nice to someone, it's being honest with them, even when we disagree with that person. So honesty is about being objective and direct when communicating, uh, particularly being objective and direct about your intentions and your feelings. Empathy is about understanding someone based on a recognition of their core beliefs and values. Autonomy is emphasizing other people's free will and right to choose whether to cooperate. And reflection, which I've talked about it before a bunch on this podcast, is just identifying, repeating back elements that are significant or meaningful and tactical uh, that someone else has said in order to guide a conversation toward a particular goal. So if you do these four things, if you're honest, if you're empathetic, if you acknowledge another person's autonomy, and if you reflect back, if you engage in reflection, you'll develop a rapport and you'll gain cooperation through rapport, not compliance through force. So these are, are kind of four attributes of that exist at the opposites end of the spectrum than threats, intimidation, and aggressiveness. Um, so I think it's important, I, then my, the next episode, I'm going to talk about those four practices more specifically, but let me just address the question, why rapport? Like, what is it good for? What's the, the goal of rapport? Even in brief interactions with people that you don't care for or you don't respect, you want to engage in rapport building because it works. So adhering to the principles and practices of rapport building gives you greater self-confidence as a communicator and also is more productive of the outcomes you seek as a communicator. So the effects that you're seeking and the ends that you're seeking are more likely to be achieved through uh, honesty, empathy, autonomy, and reflection than they are through aggressiveness, threats, um, and intimidation. Aggressiveness, threats, and intimidation, they're um, coercive. And in being coercive, they treat someone, uh, they kind of like reduce the person that you're treating to something less than you. Meanwhile, honesty, empathy, and uh, autonomy and, and reflection treats, that allows you to treat someone as multidimensional, uh, as complicated. Um, it gives you a kind of standing with them that otherwise you wouldn't have if you treated them with force or with intimidation. Okay, so in the next episode, 
that will go along with this one. I want to talk through honesty, empathy, um, autonomy, and, and reflection and how they generate cooperation and why that's so different than um, threats, intimidation, um, and, and aggression. But in the meantime, like look out for the people in your life that communicate through threat, intimidation, and aggression. And just kind of acknowledge that they're out there and, and that's their instinctual way to communicate. And then recognize that it doesn't work. It's it's a failed project from, from the get-go. So communication through that gains compliance through force just doesn't work to do the kinds of things that we want to do in the world. Uh, okay, I'll be back next week with a follow-up to this when we'll unpack the the communication skills that lead to cooperation. Thanks everyone for listening.